Good morning, everyone. Whew, awesome time of worship. I'm always, just as a little note, I love when Izzy makes pauses like that. It actually goes well with this morning's message because sometimes you could be on autopilot, right? And, you know, like we do two songs, then there's an offering, then two more songs, then the sermon. But when you break it up, it kind of gets you off track and you have to focus a little more. And as you'll see, it that really ties in this morning with today's message. You know, not just being on autopilot. So let's pray, and hopefully I make that connection now that I've thrown it out there. <laughs> let's pray. Lord God, we are ever so grateful as we sung about you, who you are. As we sing that you are good, and you're never going to let us down. I pray this morning that we would actually believe those words that we sing. So I pray this morning as your word goes out that your Holy Spirit would touch each and every heart in this room, wherever they are at spiritually, those who do not yet know you, all the way to those who have known you for a long time. Lord God, your spirit would speak to them and touch them and that we might leave this place knowing you more and having a great desire to live for you even more. And we pray this and ask this through your son, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. All right, open your Bibles up to the book of Isaiah. We're going to study the rest of chapter 6 and looking at verses 8 through 13. And so let me say this. How many of you have ever, if you've, those of you that drive, especially on the freeway, have ever been driving and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm at my exit. You don't need to, on, all right, you, like spaced out or you were into the whatever you were listening to or you were just thinking or become so routine, right? You just keep driving, and you end up where you are, and you, if you think about it, you're like, how did I get here? Something more dangerous for husbands, how many of you have ever had your wife talking to you, and then you're like, what? You don't have to raise your hand. I've never done it. I've heard some of you have done it, though. <laughs> your wife was asking you a question, and you go, oh, that's cool. And she's like, no, I asked you a question. Oh, <laughs> Again, you kind of, you heard noise or words, but you didn't really, oh man, she asked me a question. I unfortunately did that to a friend of mine a long time ago. He was, my kids make fun of me when they're like, I can't believe you did this, dad. He was talking and we were driving. He just helped me move too. And we were driving and he was talking and talking and talking and talking. And I zoned out on him and he asked me a question and I did that. I went, that's cool, man. And he's like, no, dude, I asked you a question. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry. Thankfully, he was a gracious brother and forgave me. And he's, he's ne- he probably doesn't even remember it, but I remember it all the time, how horrible that is. All that to say that sometimes spiritually we can be like that. As a matter of fact, in this morning's text, that's exactly what was happening with the nation of Israel, in particular the southern tribe of Judah. Where over and over again, God has been speaking to them, but they don't really hear him. God has shown them great miracles in front of them, but they don't actually see it. They've gotten to a place where now, as we've been studying over the past three and a half months, that they're in big trouble. And so let's look at the text this morning in Isaiah chapter 6, just by way of background before we get into this next section. Uh, The first seven verses, as we studied last week, Isaiah 
saw this great vision in the last year of King Uzziah when he was dying. And he saw a vision of God, highly exalted, lifted up. And he saw the train of his robe, it says in verse 1, filling the temple. And then he saw these exotic beings, the seraphim. And then he heard their voices praising God, and he felt the foundations of the threshold shake. And smoke began to fill the room. So he's really having all his senses are engaged in this great vision, and he realizes how unworthy he is to stand before a holy God. And then God sends a seraphim to touch Isaiah with a coal to forgive his iniquity or to take away his iniquity and forgive his sin. And that brings us to the second part of this vision, to see what exactly God is preparing Isaiah to do. And that's what we're going to pick up at verse 8. So let's look at verse 8. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people. And the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So that's the remainder of the vision that Isaiah sees. So what exactly is going on here? What we see here is that Isaiah is now really getting his call to ministry. That's the part of the vision that we are going to talk about this morning. So God is preparing Isaiah for this great task. And this vision, even though it's in chapter 6 of Isaiah's book, probably happened before he wrote the book. As I said in my prayer, we've been going through this book now for the first five chapters for three and a half months. And all we've been hearing, if you've been here, is some pretty bad stuff for Isaiah with glimpses of hope. And so this was Isaiah's commission, as we'll see in a moment, what his message was told. But God is preparing Isaiah for a great task. After he sees this vision, his iniquity is forgiven. And so let's pick up again in verse 8 and see what God says. Because after this, Isaiah says, he heard the voice saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's not that the Lord doesn't know what he's doing. Often in Scripture, God asks questions of his people to get them to pay attention, right? When he said, Adam, where are you? It's not like he lost Adam, right? It's really to make Adam wake up and realize and confess that, hey, I'm, I'm right here. So God is wanting Isaiah to step up and to serve for him. You see, the Lord chooses human beings to carry out his divine plan. The Lord doesn't need us to do that. But in God's divine plan, he's chosen that he wants to use human beings to carry out his plan. Think of 
in Scripture, just Old Testament up until this time. There's Noah he used to carry out his divine plan. Abraham, we could list a whole bunch of people, but I've just listed a few. Jacob, Moses, and Joshua. And if you know the stories of these men, they are not the height of piety, of perfection, right? They stumble and fumble and bumble around. But yet God chooses to use them. And he does great things with them because I think that they're sincere and they're trusting who God is and they're willing. And that's all that God is looking for. So here again, God is asking, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And look at what Isaiah says. He says, here am I. Send me. Just a few verses earlier, and if you were here last week, Isaiah couldn't even stand before God. He says, woe is me when he saw God. And now Isaiah is saying, here I am, send me. What caused Isaiah to flip? Well, I think what it was is that he came in contact with God. He really saw God. And when you really see God and really have an encounter with God, you are transformed from who you used to be. And that's what's happening here. So Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So what is the message that God is going to give to Isaiah to go out and share with the nation of Israel? Well, it's this. Let's look at verse 9. He says, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. That's the message. As you think about this, what kind of message is that? That would be like God saying, hey, Robert, this morning I want you to tell the church to listen to the word of God, but don't hear it. See the great miracles of our look at the great miracles of God, but don't understand them. I want you to see this, but don't really look. That's the message that he's given Isaiah. Why would he do that? What exactly is God saying? Why does he want Isaiah to do this? Now, we're going to answer all those questions. And as I mentioned, even in my opening, this is exactly what's been going on with Israel, right? They've heard all these things, but they truly don't understand them. They've seen all these things that God has done, but they don't understand them. It's not just a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle that the entire nation of Judah has been living, and it is finally the end, and God is going to exact judgment on them. So that's the message. He wants them to preach that to the people because Judah is spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. They're not really hearing. And this isn't a one-time thing that's only happened once in Scripture. If, if you think later on when Jesus comes, doesn't Jesus comes, he pretty much says the same thing to the religious leaders of the day. And notice, it's to those people who should know better that this is spoken to. It's not those people that have never really heard of God or known God. This is reserved for those people who are actually aware that there is a God and they've heard his word before that these judgments come to. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and I'll give you an example of this. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. Luke 12, starting in verse 54. So all these people who should know better. He says this in verse 54 of Luke chapter 12. 
He says, and he was also saying to the crowds, when you see the cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. They're talking about the weather patterns. They, they can read what's going on in the sky and know what's going to happen in relation to the weather. And he, when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? He's saying that, you know what, you guys already know Scripture. You know that the Messiah is supposed to be coming, and he's standing here before you, but you're saying he's not here. You see the Messiah, but you don't understand. You hear the word of the Lord, but you don't really perceive it. Jesus was saying the same thing that Isaiah said many years before. So it's not an unfamiliar message to the people of God. So Isaiah's message, again, was to preach to them and tell them that they're going to hear God's word, but they're not really going to understand it. They're going to see God's work, but they're not going to understand it as well. And the result of that is in verse 10, because this is what's going to happen to them. God says this, he says, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. The preaching of the Lord's word to them is going to convict them of their judgment and it's going to seal their fate because they hear the word of God over and over and over again. But it has no effect on their heart. It is a danger to be exposed to God's word, and there is no conviction. And that's very, that's a warning to those of us in here this morning. You could sit through church every Sunday and hear the preaching of God's word, and if it has no effect on your heart, you, in a sense, are heaping judgment on yourself because now you're accountable to the word of God because you've heard it. And now God holds you accountable. And if there's no conviction and it does not affect you, then you, as like Isaiah, will be saying, woe is me when you stand before God. Because God is going to say, you knew about this. You knew better. You sat through Pastor Robert's sermon and heard what he said, and you did nothing. It had no change on you. So you might be thinking, well, see, I shouldn't even go to church because then I won't be accountable for anything. Too late, too late. Because even all of creation declares God's word and holiness and who he is, that there is a creator. Everybody would be held accountable for what they know. And so Isaiah here is prophesying what God had told him, saying that this generation won't repent. The Lord knows that they're not going to repent. But he wants Isaiah to go out and give the message anyways. Because as we'll see, there is a remnant within the nation of Israel that will be faithful before they get carried off into captivity. And you may be asking, and I just gave away one, why would God have him do this if God knows what's going to happen with the audience that he's preaching to? If God knows that nobody's going to repent of the nation of Israel, particularly in the southern tribe of Judah, why would he even do this? And as I mentioned, because there is a remnant within that nation who does hear the word of God, who will repent, who will return to God eventually and stay faithful. 
But not only that, there are future generations that will hear these stories of what happened to ancient Judah, and they will be convicted of it. That's what's happening this morning, is here we're reading a story that happened hundreds of years ago, over a thousand years ago, actually, and it can have an effect on your hearts and my heart, as it already has for me as I've been studying it over the last week. And I hope that it has an effect on you. So that's why God is having Isaiah preach this gospel or preach this message to his people. It can have an immediate effect on the generation that he's speaking to, but it will have an effect on generations to come as we're seeing as there's a testimony of it to this day. So this is the message that Isaiah is supposed to speak. It's not a very, you know, exciting message. And so Isaiah asked this question. It looks like he's saying, how long do I have to do this? But that's really not what he's saying. Look at verse uh, 11. He says, then I said, how long? And it could be taken. How long do I have to preach this message? I mean, imagine every Sunday if I got up and preached the same message. You know, why would we do that? Why would God ask me to do that? Some of the same reasons. Maybe the person, sometimes I feel like that, by the way, just as a side. Like, I think I said this last week. And some of you are like, yeah, you did say that last week. Well, hey, maybe somebody didn't get it. Maybe somebody stepped out for a second. Maybe somebody was not here last week. You know, we keep proclaiming God's word over and over again faithfully. You never know how it's going to affect somebody. And so I think, again, that's why Isaiah was told to do this. Well, he's not saying how, I don't think he's saying how long do I have to do this. I think what Isaiah is saying is how long before this is going to happen. How long will Israel not listen to you? How long will Israel see these powerful things and will it have no effect on them? And this is where God says in verse 11, look at verse 11 with me. Until cities are devastated and without inhabitants, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. For the Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. He's saying, you're going to do this, Isaiah. And you're going to have to do it until my judgment is complete. Israel's not going to listen until my judgment is completed. This, again, was a part of the covenant cursing on the people of God. They have made a covenant. If you remember a while back, earlier this year, we preached through the Ten Commandments. And Pastor John's first message was the covenant that God was making with his holy people. Here's my covenant. Here's what I'm doing for you. And you are going to do this on your side. Keep my ordinances. Worship me. And then he lays out the Ten Commandments on how they are to keep their covenant. Well, what happens when they don't keep covenant? There were covenant blessings for the nation of Israel to keep when they kept them. And there were covenant cursings. When they didn't keep them. And what's happening here in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah's prophesying about the final outcome of the covenant cursings. And I want to share that with you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. This is what the Lord had spoken to Moses. So hundreds of years before what we're reading about in Isaiah. Hundreds of years, he prophesied this is what's going to happen to that generation 
that ultimately continues to not listen to me and to worship idols, this is what was going to happen to them. In Deuteronomy 29, look at verse 24. And he's actually speaking that people will see what's happened to Israel, and this is what they will say. He says, and all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? And some of you might be thinking, why would God do this to his very own people who he loves, whom he has called? The same question. Why this great outburst of anger? Why is God so angry? The men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And this is it. They went and served the other gods and worshiped them. Gods whom they have not known, whom they have not, whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, so because they have worshiped idols, and again, if you read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you will see over and over again the nations, or the, really the tribe of Israel in the north and the tribe of Judah in the south, continually worshipped idols. And even when a good king would would try to eradicate the land, it would always say, "But yet there were high places," which means there were still idols in the land. They never were fully eradicated. It says, they went and served other idols, as I mentioned, in verse 27. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has burned against the land to bring it upon every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from the land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. So he's saying this this is what's going to happen, that eventually sometime in the future, this was. God speaking to Moses that Israel is going to inherit the promised land. And in our our young adult study, we're going through the book of Joshua. So we're seeing the nation of Israel come into the promised land. But eventually what happens is they take over the promised land and then they become like the people who live there. They start worshiping idols and worshiping Yahweh at the same time. So they're trying to do both things. And ultimately, God says, it's over. You guys are not going to listen, which is what we're reading about in Isaiah. And he sends them into captivity. And Babylon comes and takes them into captivity for 70 years. And this is what God was saying to Moses, is that this anger is going to burn so much against them because of what they're doing over and over again, that he's going to uproot them from the land, their own land, and send them to Babylon. And this is what Isaiah is telling us here until cities are devastated and without inhabitants. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. So again, this is not just a one-time sin that somebody did and God wipes them out. No, it is generation after generation after generation who refuses to listen to God's word, who sees God's great miracles but doesn't truly understand them so much that they worship God, and now they are finally being punished. And Isaiah is a prophet that is telling them this is what's happening. This is what is going to happen. And then in verse 13, uh, look at verse 13. Isaiah says this. Yet there is a tenth portion in it. So after they are removed from the land, he's talking about this remnant that has been removed. If you think, if you know the story in Babylon. So they're there for about 70 years. And then God brings a remnant of the nation of Israel back into the promised land. And I believe this is what verse 13 is talking about. But they won't 
they too won't listen. Because look at what it says in verse 13. And it will again be subject to burning. That even that remnant, when they come back, they too will be judged. Because they ultimately will come back, but they will not truly follow Yahweh. He says, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed, the holy seed is this stump. So when you cut a tree, there's a stump left, right? And this is the picture that God is giving. He's, he cut the tree of Israel, but there's still this little stump, this remnant. But even that is going to be subject to burning. This holy seed, which is a reference to the nation of Israel, I believe, they too will be burned. And you may be thinking, well, when did this happen? Well, this happened if that remaining stump was actually alive when Jesus came. The nation of Israel had still existed. And I believe that this final judgment on the nation of Israel happened when the temple was finally destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Romans. And this was the final destruction of the nation of Israel and all of their worship. And to this day, it has not been restored. The nation of Israel... I believe, is still under judgment from God until they totally turn back to the Lord, and then they will be healed. And so I believe that this last section here, again in verse 13, is an allusion to what happened at the time when Jesus was here. So that's your message this morning. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a tough message, to be honest with you. But I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn, each and every one of us, no matter where you're at, spiritually let let's start first with those of us who are believers who have had that encounter with God and say that we are his like Isaiah I believe that God calls every believer to be a witness you don't have to be a pastor or a preacher to be a witness matter of fact let me give you an example of this Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. No doubt many have heard these verses, these, especially this first verse that I'm going to read. But sometimes you don't read the entire context, so you miss what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. We're going to read through to verse 20. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church. He says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come, right? How many of you have heard that verse before? A lot of us, right? And probably that's it, you know. But look at the rest. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, who? The church, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We have a ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Namely, look at verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we, who's the we? The church, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It is every member of the body of Christ's responsibility to be an ambassador for him. What's an ambassador? Ambassador is somebody who lives in a foreign land and represents their country. This world is a foreign land to those of us who are in Christ. This is not our home. 
This is not our finally re- final resting place. Thank God for that. We have the kingdom that is coming, and we are representing that kingdom now here on this earth. Again, the Lord continues to use human vessels to carry out his plan. God wants to use you, you and me to be ambassadors to the rest of the world that's around us. That is our responsibility. And again, Jesus said as much to his disciples, right? Remember when his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, after Jesus had risen from the dead, they were like, okay, Lord, when is your kingdom going to come? You know, it's not our business to sit around and, and guess when the second coming and be focused on the second coming so much that we do nothing else. Matter of fact, Jesus says in uh, verse six, let's read in Acts chapter one. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at that time or is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of God to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the father has fixed by his own authority. So what is the responsibility of God's believers? Look at verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Each and every one of us has the responsibility to represent our Messiah. And guess what? We we represent him well, and sometimes we represent him not so well, but we do one or the other. What is your witness like? What is our witness like? Is it a good witness or is it a bad witness? Every one of us is a witness, and it's one of those. So like Isaiah, when we come in contact with God, we can't help but being transformed to be his witness. Now, that witness is going to play out very differently depending on who we are, depending on the talents and gifts that God has given us. Again, God has not called every one of us to be the preacher or to be uh, to lead worship or do children's ministry. Each and every one of us has a different gift. But the thing that I want to make, the point that I want to make this morning is that if you have come into contact with the creator of the world, if you have experienced forgiveness, you should have a desire to share that with somebody else. And it can come in a number of ways. It doesn't have to be, like I said, standing on the street corner or in front of people proclaiming God's word. Each and every one of us has a different ministry. And I want to give you just a few examples of that from the apostles. I really like what they what they said. Uh, staying in the book of Acts, go over to chapter four. I'm going to give you a few examples of some people that when they were transformed by the power of God, they were able to do some great things. Look at Acts chapter four, starting in verse 18. This is Peter and John after being arrested and thrown in prison. And the authorities are trying to tell them to stop talking about God. Look at what it says in verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the authorities are saying, stop talking about God or Jesus. And look at what they say. But Peter and John answered in verse 19 and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen And what we have heard. Why can't they stop speaking about it? Because they've been so radically transformed. They had a true encounter 
with the Lord Jesus Christ that they have to share it. Kind of like Isaiah. Isaiah had this encounter. Now he's like, here I am. Send me. I can do it. He's going to stumble and bumble around, but he can do it. He can't help but do it. Let me give you a few more examples of this. Uh, Flip over to Acts chapter 20 now, looking at verse 22. Acts 20, verse 22. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this. He says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So Paul's bound, meaning he's, he's, he, he has this sincere conviction that he has to go do this thing. He doesn't know what lies ahead of him, but he's going to go do it. In verse 23, he says, Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bounds and afflictions wait for me. So he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but he knows it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be affliction. He says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He's like, I don't care what happens to me. I have this great conviction to go and preach the gospel. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what's going to happen to me if I go to prison. I'm bound. Again, why? Because he's had that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. One more example. Turn to 1 John uh, chapter 1. I really like this. This really goes well with uh, what we're talking about. Here is somebody who has seen and heard, and he really understands what, it, what he's seen and what he's heard. In 1 John chapter 1, at the very beginning of his letter, the Apostle John writes, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. The Apostle John, you get, I hope you get the sense, he's like, what we've seen, what we heard, what we touched, we proclaim to you because it's real. And again, I say to you believers, if Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is real in your life, how are you being a witness for him? Has he really come into your life and transformed you and forgiven you of your sin? Is he really good? Is he really never going to let you down? How do you witness that? How are you an ambassador for him in this life? I pray this morning that each and every one of us would take time to consider those things and be a, you know, quote unquote, a better witness, a more faithful witness for what he's done for us. Each and every one of us knows somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we be an ambassador for Christ to them? That is my point of application for us this morning for the believer. Well, obviously, I want to talk to those of you as well who this morning, who maybe sit through church every week and has and the word of God has no effect on you. As a matter of fact, you may just have woken up right now and going, whoa, it's almost time to be over. 
Because you hear the word of God, but don't really hear it, right? You see things going on, but you don't understand them. Again, I would say don't neglect the Lord's warnings. He warned the nation of Israel over and over again. But there comes a time when the warning is gone. And I would encourage you, those of you who are like, you know what? My parents bring me here. And I listen, but it doesn't really affect you or affect me. You need to listen as well. God, the Lord God cannot be the God of our fathers and our mothers. He needs to be your individual God. And I hope you take that seriously. Those of you that are listening this morning, do not neglect the Lord's warnings. Don't listen to the word of God, but truly not get it. Don't see all the things going around in this world that God is doing and not understand them. Because you are in danger of becoming spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and ultimately spiritually foolish. Where God is going to give you over to do whatever you want because he's done with you. That can happen too. So I pray this morning that those of you that hear the words of the Lord from the scriptures this morning would take heed to that. And this brings me to my final point as we close this morning. If you hear the word of the Lord this morning, I pray that you would repent and be saved. That you would be that remnant that hears that word and even in the midst of all the craziness that goes on that you would truly understand God's word. And you would give your life to him because he has given his life for you. I'm reminded of all the warnings given to the churches in the book of Revelation. I think there were seven churches and every church is told this at the end. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. There are non-believers sitting in churches every Sunday. And so the word of the Lord goes to them. Matter of fact, the entire New Testament was written to churches, to believers, and there's constant warnings that there's people in the churches who are not believers. And I pray that is not true this morning of anybody in here. But if there is, I pray that you would hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is so powerful. That it has the power to transform our lives, even when we do not physically see you like Isaiah or the prophets. But we hear about you. We have a, a spiritual connection with you through your son, Jesus Christ, and by faith. I pray that each and every one of us who believes on you this morning, that we would represent you well that we would be ambassadors reconciling the world to you because you have given us that ministry. Help us to do that. And for those this morning, Lord, who have not yet committed their lives to you, who hear the word of God this morning, I pray that their hearts and their minds would be moved by your spirit. And it would be moved to repentance, that they would give their life to you, that they would see their need for you, and that they would see that they can do nothing to earn your salvation except to believe on you. And I pray that they would do that this morning. And I pray this in your name. Amen.